Good morning. Good morning. How's the 10:30 service so far? Yeah, your worship band's amazing. You guys know that, right? All right. You know your pastor and your whole church staff are amazing too, as well. Don't you know that? Could you show them real quick? Just yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, but one thing I'm concerned about is um, it's July 1st. It's summer. Like someone didn't call Washington and say uh, it's. Like it was 111 yesterday at home. So yeah, so my wife and I are enjoying our couple of days up here for sure, but it's a little weird that it's July and it's so cloudy and rainy outside, but you know, you guys love that. That's why you live up here, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, today I want to talk to you about prayer and about effective prayer and I encourage you to follow along in those notes that you, that you got there. And um, God taught me really how to pray way more effectively uh, back in 2003. And so uh, my wife and I moved to, from California to Arizona in 2001 to, to plant Rock Point Church, which is one of our churches down there. And we've planted several more since. I mean, when Vision Arizona started, there were three churches back in 1999, and now there's about 26. Or, and we've got uh, another church launching this fall and another one next year. And God's been doing some amazing things. But uh, we were living in Dana Point, California. Anybody know where that is? San Clemente, Laguna Beach. And God called us to the desert. Like it was sort of the anti-Moses thing, right? Like, wait, we were living in paradise, you know? Um, But anyway, we we answered the call and we moved here. And anyway, so we had planted Rock Point Church. And and one year later, it was the one-year anniversary of starting the church. And uh, we were doing this big celebration. And my mom and my dad and my aunt and my uncle and lots of family flew in for it. And we celebrated, had a great weekend, great Sunday. And... um, my mom and dad have operated this little grocery store in my hometown. I'm from Stockton, California, born and raised. Anybody know Stockton? Yeah, so then you know there's a little thug in me, if you know, right. You know, I tell people all the time, don't let this white fool you, okay? Um, so anyway, and so they're here. My dad had to fly back early because he had to open up the store Monday morning, and um, uh, it was Valentine's Day. It was February 14th, um, 2003. And we get a call. So, so all my family's still with us in Arizona. My dad flew back by himself. And I get a call from my sister that uh, the grocery store had been robbed at gunpoint. And, you know, it had been over the years, even when I was a teenager, you know. So it was like, um, but this time my dad was brutally shot. And it was like, and they don't think he's going to make it. So these two guys came in with masks, and my dad and his little uh, worker that worked for him, they unloaded the, the cash registers, they gave them all the money, and then they just brutally drew their guns and just started shooting up the boy and my dad. And um, of course, you know, he was sent to the hospital and all of that, and man, I'm rushing to get my mom packed up and my aunt and my uncle and other family members, and we're... I threw them all in the Suburban. We're rushing to Phoenix Sky Harbor to get them on a plane. Like I'm literally wearing a t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops, which is normal Arizona attire, something you don't know anything about. But um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, And man, Southwest Airlines was amazing. Like they are calling on the phone, uh, move their tickets, you know, so they could fly back sooner. And me and my brother getting my mom on a plane, you know, my mom turns to me and says, Randy, I'm a pharmacist by trade. So I do drugs all week. I mean, I dispense drugs. 
um, all week. And my wife's a registered nurse and, you know, we're medical people and I need you with me. I need you there. I had no ticket. My uncle's calling, get a ticket. Yeah. They had people waiting at the curb. They took us right inside, got us on this plane. I had nothing with me. I mean, we just went anyway, got there and my dad had taken a shot to the head that grazed his head and one went through right through his body and he was in surgery and he tried to die one time in surgery, but he got out of surgery and was in a coma in ICU for 10 weeks. And I remember every day just saying, God, please heal my dad. So, so my dad, my dad is Jesus with skin on. Like he's the most godly man I know. Um, I had the, I, you know, I was, I, I'm very blessed to have been raised in a Christian home from the time I was seven. I'm praying things to God like, do you know how many more people he could lead to Christ? You know, don't let him go, you know, and this will kill my mother and heal my dad every day and every day. And I was there for a few weeks. Then I had to come back to Arizona. And then I got a call from my brother. My dad was back in surgery. He was bleeding out. And I remember, so I got on this plane. So at Rock Point Church, a lot of our people, there were several people in our church were pilots and flight attendants. I mean, everybody, you know, like here's buddy passes and we'll get you on a plane. And I actually got on a plane through America West at that time, some little plane. And I accidentally got on a plane straight from Mesa to Stockton, which they don't like the buddy passes aren't supposed to work for that, but they did. I mean, God was just showing up. And I remember getting off this plane a couple weeks into this and walking on the, off on the thing, and I see my brother, and he's just sobbing, you know, and I'm like, oh, this is it, I know dad's gone, you know, but he wasn't, and um, he made it out of surgery again, anyway, just every day, God, heal my dad, heal my dad, 10 weeks into this thing, they finally got him off the ventilator, uh, which is called, they extubated him, you know, and uh, he woke up, and all that, and he was going to be okay. In fact, the day they extubated him. So my family, the way we deal with things is humor. Anybody else like that? Like we're, we're just a little weird, right? I mean, um, and I remember my, I was in the waiting room and my, my brother and my mom came out and said, they extubated him and he's breathing on his own. And that's awesome. And my aunt Jeanette, she was sitting in the waiting room and she's like, what'd he say? What'd he say? And my brother went, <laughs> you know, like, like, okay, I have a sermon on humor. That's part of that one, but you know, we'll leave that for that. But every day on my face before God, heal my dad, heal my dad. And he did like, and my dad's alive today, 78 years old. I used to say still kicking. He's not kicking. He's more like, you know, stumbling along, but 78, uh, he led several nurses and surgeons to Christ before he even got out of the hospital. Like, it's an amazing, amazing story. But man, God taught me through that again how to pray and how to pray specifically and persistently and, and expectantly and expecting God to show up in this thing. And he did. Like people hear me say this all the time today. Like, man, God shows up and he shows off. Like he shows up and he shows off. And so today I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about prayer. See, prayer is simply just this. It's this spiritual communication between us and God. Like we, little old we, like we get to talk to God. The, 
almighty God, the, the creator of the universe. Like he, he likes us to talk to him and, 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 and he talks back to us. You know, like prayer is us talking to him and, and begging him and, and, and asking for his help and, and telling him our needs and things like that. The part we miss sometimes is the listening, right? I, I mean, I, that's me sometimes. Like I send out my prayers Sometimes I don't take time to listen, but it's this two-way relationship that when you, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you get this communication with God. It's called prayer. There, there's many promises about prayer in Scripture. Let me just give you a few. Psalm 91.15 in the ESV that uh, says, and this is God talking, when he calls me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him, it says. Isaiah 65, 24 says, Before they call, I will answer. While they were yet speaking, I will hear, God says. In Matthew 7, 7, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, Jesus says. Knock and it will be opened to you. And so there's all kinds of scriptures about we need to pray for one another. You know, we need to, we need to pray for each other. But there's also these that say, man, God hears and God answers. But what's our typical problem, right? Sometimes we don't like the answer, right? Because we're looking for a yes and he says no. Or we're looking for a no and he says yes. Or sometimes he says not now. But the Christian life is about this personal relationship with God and, and through what Jesus came and did. Like we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it'll be on the screen. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, it says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, woe, but without sin. Let us then, here's my favorite part, it says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Like, do you realize when we pray, we have this awesome privilege to go into the very throne room of God and make our requests known to him. And he hears us and he answers you see, back in biblical times, only the, 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 the high priest and the, the very, very highest of the priests could go into this place called the Holy of Holies and, 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 and talk to God. And, but Jesus came to change all that. And now we get to talk directly to God. Boldly, it says. I love what C.H. Spurgeon says. He says, because he's the living God, he can hear. And because he's the loving God, he will hear. He will hear. And so that's the question for us this morning is, man, how's our prayer life going? How's our prayer life going? Some of you might be like, man, it's awesome. I am communing with God. I love communicating with God. He's an- he answers my prayers. I-, I spend time listening to him. It's great. Yay, God. But some of you might be sitting here going, you know, I don't, I can't remember the last time I talked to God. I don't even know if he hears me. I don't even know if he's listening. Truth be known, I, 
I don't even know if this whole prayer thing even works. So, like, I don't even do it. You know, maybe it's you've been praying for your marriage or praying for your kids or praying for your job or a different job or a better job. or Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe you've been struggling with an addiction and you just years and years and you still, there's no freedom from it. Like, does God even hear me? Does it even work? Maybe you've asked him to heal a relationship and you're like, man, I don't know where he's at in this. No answer, still. Well, I want to take a look at the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. And I want us to look at just one of his prayers. And we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18 today. If you want to go there in your Bible or go on your Bible app, 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to start at verse 42. You see, it says in James 5.17 in the New Testament, when it talks about Elijah, this prophet of God from the Old Testament, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three and years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Some of you are like, man, I live in Washington. I'm praying that prayer right now. Like, we've had enough rain for a couple decades, right? He prayed that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, for three and a half years, it did not rain on the entire earth, not just where they were in Israel, but on the whole earth. I mean, Elijah understood prayer. That's some powerful prayer. Of course, God's power, of course, that made that happen. I love how it starts out. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, he was just a regular guy. He was not a big deal. Thank you for that, Rab. Um, You know, he's just a regular guy like you and me. Just a regular person, which is comforting. He, He didn't, you know, he wasn't some of this superhero Bible cape kind of guy. He's just a regular guy. And it says he prayed earnestly, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't for three and a half years. You see, I think some of us, when it comes to our prayer life, you know, we, some of us, we pray, you know, sort of like small p, small r, small a, small y. Yeah, we, you know, we pray. You know, Lord bless this food. Amen. Thank you. know. But Elijah, I mean, he prayed. I mean, like all caps, capital P, capital R, capital A, capital Y. I mean, he prayed. He prayed boldly. He prays like God's going to move. God's going to work. God's going to show up. So let me give you some context here. Like this is way back in the Old Testament in, in First Kings. This is, this is ninth century BC, like before Christ. There's this king in the northern kingdom of Israel. His name's Ahab, and he has this wife named Jezebel. There's a reason why Jezebel means certain things to us these days, because they were evil. They were evil. He was an evil king. They were were just taking the nation down. They they were destroying it. They were taking it south, and um, they were worshiping this false god named Baal. You know, when God had enough of that, and he sends Elijah in there, he's like, you better go talk to King Ahab and Jezebel. Like, they better turn this around. And they better quit worshiping this false god Baal. And they better worship me, the one true and living God. And so Elijah goes in there essentially and says all this to them. And like, they didn't. They didn't turn it around. God's saying they better get their their lives right with me. They better turn this around. And they didn't. And so Elijah goes and says, God, take away the rain. And he did. 
And so here is Elijah's prayer. So if you have your Bible or on your Bible app, go to 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 42 to 44. It says this. It says, And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, Macchiato, no, I'm kidding, Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud, the size of a man's hand, is rising from the sea. So first it says he he climbed up to Mount Carmel, a, a mountain there. And then he prays this prayer seven times. Let me show you what this looked like. So, uh, Pastor George, come on up here. You're going to be my servant today. You guys are going to see whether George can be a good servant or not, okay? And the Academy Award goes to? No. All right. So, so I'm Elijah. This is my servant, George. No, it doesn't say his name in the, the Bible. have turned. Yes. So, so you go over here. All right. So he climbs the top of Mount Carmel, okay? So Mount Carmel is like 1,800 foot elevation. So to try to get, help you picture that, like the mountains in, in Washington are super high, right? So, but there is one called Little Sai, right? Up here in the Northeast, right? By Big Sai. So Little Sai is about 1,600 feet. So just two more hundred feet. They climb to the top. Elijah gets all the way down on his knees, face between his knees, and he says, God, send the rain. And he has a servant go check. Is there any rain? Nothing. I thought you were supposed to go like this. Yeah. We rehearsed this. Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Second time. God, send the rain. Third time. God, send the rain. Typical servant. Right? Always mouthing off. Fourth time, God, send the rain. You can go check. Are you serious? I'm serious. Go check. <laughs> Do what you're told. Nothing. Nothing. Fifth time, God, send the rain. Can you go check? Nothing. Sixth time, God, send the rain. I'm serious. Go, go check. Seventh time. God, send the rain. Go check. The cloud the size of a small man's fist. Over the sea? No. Great. Thank you, George. Ladies and gentlemen, George Bedley. We're going to come back to that little cloud the size of a man's hand in a little bit because that's going to blow your mind. But as we look at this story, I realize so many of us struggle with our prayer lives. And Elijah climbed up to the top of a mountain. He didn't was just going on his day. Oh, you know what? I'll just, while I'm driving to Starbucks, I'm just going to send up a prayer. Like climbs a mountain, gets to the top, gets, that hurt my back. I don't. I, that 
face between his knees, Scripture says, and prays seven times. Send the rain. Many of us struggle with that in our prayer lives. Consistency is tough. Authenticity, authenticity is tough. It can be hard at times. We feel God doesn't answer or we don't get the answer we want. But here I see four truths in this one prayer. And so if you're following along in your notes, four qualities of effective prayer. Number one, effective prayers are humble prayers. Effective prayers are humble. We saw there in verse 42, Elijah bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. After climbing this mountain, I mean, you can imagine, right? He puts all his North Face gear on. He gets his little GPS. He makes his way up there to the top of the mountain to be alone with God. He needed God's attention. He was going to the mountaintop. He didn't just pray some sideways prayer as his life was going along. And he bends down, but can you, I mean, all the way, his head between his knees. It's this picture physically of him humbling himself before God, but it's really a picture of the humbling that was going on inside of him. In his mind, in his heart. He's like, okay, God, it's time for the rain to come back. We need the rain. Are you hearing me? I am bent before you. Send the rain. He knew that he was, he couldn't bring the rain. He knew he was small and insignificant. He was incapable, but they needed rain. But he, he, you know, he's essentially saying here, God, I'm small and I'm tiny and I'm inadequate. I can't do this. But God, you are big. You are the creator. You are the healer. You're the sustainer. You can bring the rain. He humbles himself before God because he knew that he couldn't bring the rain, but he knew who could. I knew exactly what Elijah felt like when every day I'm praying, God, heal my dad. Show up. I'm not ready to lose him. He's my Jesus with skin on. In that 10 weeks in the hospital, my mom and dad had had such a ministry in that little corner grocery store in Stockton, California. They fed orphans. They ministered to prostitutes. They helped crack addicts get off drugs. I mean, it was a total lighthouse on that corner. Those 10 weeks my dad was in the hospital, families and generations of people just came in droves to see him. The hospital had to set up multiple waiting rooms. Little children came and, and made stuff for him and cards and it was all over the hospital wall. I mean, it was, it was amazing, the legacy. But I saw my dad heal him. And I needed that because fast forward to 2008, my son, Randy Jr., some of you know, he, he was an intern up here a few years ago. I'm sitting at home in my family room waiting for him to come back from a track meet. He was a sophomore in high school and he was late. And I was home alone with my dog. Dina, my wife, was in California helping take care of her mother who was dying at the time. And I'm sitting there and you know, moms, you like, you guys wait up for the kids, right? We just, I'm going to bed. And something just said, I need to wait up. He's late. It's now like 10 p.m. Oh, they probably stopped at Taco Bell to get something to eat. I don't know. So I'm trying to stay awake. So I flipped the TV on and I saw Gilbert, Arizona, tragic accident, four teens, one dead. And it was right around the corner from my home. 
I, I don't even, I can't remember what I thought. I grab my truck keys, again, t-shirt, shorts, flip-flops. I jump in my truck. I drive around the corner to what looked like a war zone. And fire trucks everywhere. It was taped off. There were lights flashing everywhere. I went up to a police officer and I said, hey, my, my son is late. He was at a track meet. He goes to Williamsfield High School. He should have been home by now. He would have been coming this way. I'm thinking in my head, maybe he's standing there watching or knowing him. He's probably helping. And officer said, what's his name? I said, Randy Deal. And he flips open his little pad and he goes, could it be Randy Beal? And I go, no, it's Randy Deal. And he talks to the other officer and he comes back and he said, uh, he was metaflighted to Maricopa County Hospital. All four of the boys were helicoptered out of here. And I, all I, I just lost all the air in me. I, like I just, and the officer, Mr. Deal, Mr. Deal, you know. All I saw in my head was four teens, one dead. Who is it? Who? And he was with his buddies. And so I jumped in my truck. I sped down the freeway. I didn't even know where this hospital was in downtown Phoenix. And I remember just crying out to God, God, if Randy's the one that's dead, this is going to kill my wife. But I trust you. I love you. But if it's not, I've seen you show up, God. I've seen you show off. I'm asking you to do it again. Do it again. I... I was going 90 miles an hour. I'm calling my wife. I had to hang up because I was going to get in a wreck. I pulled up to that hospital right to the emergency door. I shoved my truck in park. I didn't even turn it off. I jumped out and I run in and I'm looking for my son. They can't find him. There was another accident in Phoenix that day with seven teens and they thought it was part of that. It wasn't. I went to the pediatric emergency room. They didn't have him. And I went back to the adult emergency room. I'm a pharmacist. I worked in the hospital for 15 years. I know how this works. I said, are there any John Doe's in the trauma room? They said, there are two John Doe's in the trauma room. Those are people, they don't know what their name is. Could I go look? No, Mr. Deal, you know, HIPAA laws and all that. We can't. I started to storm the doors. <laughs> These two security guards got in front of me. I'm just a little guy, you know, they're like, Mr. Deal, you need to calm down. I go, I need to find my son. Could you just let me go look? Find this one nurse. Do you know how you've been in some of you've been in situations like this and God just sends angels? Like these just things just happen. And God just shows up and this nurse came and said, Okay, let me walk you in there. And they took me in there, and there he was, on this gurney, in a neck brace. They were bagging him and breathing for him. Blood was everywhere. And I'm like, oh, that's him. But he was alive. And then there was two years of, he was paralyzed on the left side. He had a broken, C4 and C5 were completely broken. But not his spinal cord. That's God. Only God could do that. His brain injury was so bad. They call it TBI, traumatic brain injury. Literally the neurons in his brain were ripped off of the cells. And I remember praying day after day, God, heal my son. Fuse those, those vertebrae back together in his neck. God, start reconnecting every neuron to every cell one by one. He was in a coma. This happened on a Wednesday night. He woke up a few days later on Sunday morning. 
I slept on his floor by his bed or on a little cot thing. I never left his side, not one time. And Sunday morning I heard, morning, Dad. There were, there were hundreds of people sleeping on the floor in this waiting room downstairs. I'm like, call. he's awake. And then, you know, there was tons of physical therapy and speech therapy. And he, his brain was all messed up. <laughs> And they worked with him. And today you wouldn't even know. He's a fitness trainer at Orange Theory in, in, in Queen Creek, Arizona, where we live. Like you wouldn't even know that he was paralyzed. God showed up and God showed off like he does. Let me get back to my notes. Because... Effective prayers are humble prayers. Just last month, I have a two-year-old granddaughter. She, well, she's not even two yet. Her name is Layla. She has Down syndrome. Cutest little thing ever. She's got a cold. They have very low muscle tone. We thought she was coughing like with a cold like normal, but she wasn't. Her lungs filled up. She had a horrible, horrible pneumonia, two different viruses, bacterial pneumonia, and we almost lost her a few weeks ago. And I remember just being before God, God, I can't do anything. I am small. I am helpless, but I've seen you show up. I've seen you show off before, and I need you to do it again. (laughs) And he did. She spent a week in Phoenix Children's, and she's home, and she's thriving. Here's what I know. God shows up, and God shows off. When we humble ourselves before him. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will. He will lift you up. He will exalt you. It's a promise. But I've learned in my life, oftentimes those miraculous things don't come until we've humbled ourselves before God because effective prayers are humble prayers. Number two, effective prayers are specific prayers. They are specific. We read there in verse 43, and he said to his servant, God, go up now, look toward the sea. And when he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. You know, many times in our lives, our prayers are kind of wishy-washy, non-specific prayers like, God, just be with us. God, just bless us. God, would you just, would you bless this food? God, strengthen us. You know, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, the steering wheel, not the back wheel. No. Um, But he was specific. Like, God, bless us with what? God, strengthen me for what? Jesus, which wheel do, do, do do I want you to take? Be specific. Elijah was very specific in his prayer. We need more rain. It's been three and a half years. We need rain. Give us rain. Bring down some of that H2O liquid from heaven. We need rain. And so he keeps sending his servant to go look, and it still wasn't there, but he prayed specifically. Man, I learned how to pray specifically when I was in college back in, you know, 1980-something. Getting my, my first doctorate, which is in pharmacy, and I was involved in this campus group called Campus Ambassadors, and we were working to go on our first mission trip. We were going to go down into Mexico, and we were going to minister in these two orphanages. We were going to take food and minister to these families that were literally living in the dump. 
And there was this six-week process of praying and studying and how to, how to do missions in a foreign country and all these things. And I remember the morning we were leaving, we had all the cars lined up and we had this one refrigeration truck because people gave us frozen turkeys and we had tortillas and apples and oranges and all these things we were going to take down there. And we, we put our hands on the, on the truck and said, Lord, keep the truck refrigerated. Let it make it all the way to Mexico and don't let those turkeys thaw out. And I mean, Pastor Bob, the campus pastor, he had us putting our hands on the tires like, Lord, no flat tires on our way down there. God, would you keep the lug nuts tight on every lug nut so that we would have no problems when we did? He taught us to pray specifically. And so we did. Because here's the thing. God is in the details. He wants to hear the details. We need to pray specifically. James 4, 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. How simplistic is that? And we just fly right by that promise in Scripture. So often we don't have time for detailed prayers. We don't have time just to stop and pray. It's good to pray as we go, of course, but details. We need to become a people that will humble ourselves before God and then come to Him with boldness and courage and specific prayers. Because effective prayers are humble They are specific. Number three, they are persistent. Effective prayers are persistent prayers. We read there in verse 43, 1 Kings 18, and he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea, right? And when he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. I mean, George, Pastor George did a pretty good job at the, at the servant, but I'm sure that servant was like, really, Elijah? Like he didn't pray the second time because God didn't hear him the first time. He didn't pray the third time because God didn't hear him the second time. But he was persistent and he prayed and prayed. He was laser focused on this one specific prayer. And so he prays it and he prays it again and again and again and again and again and again. This one specific prayer. Because here's what Elijah understood and that we need to understand that Our outward circumstances don't trump our inner assurance. God will show up. God will show off. He will. Elijah prayed and he prayed and he prayed. He was persistent. James 5.16 says this, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And I love what it says in a couple of the other translations. In the NIV, it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. In the NASB, it says the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And in the good old King James, it says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effective, fervent, persistent, never giving up prayer of a righteous man or woman makes stuff happen. Well, God's power makes it happen. But stuff happens. Miracles happen. Things happen. God gets it done when we're persistent. So here's my question this morning. What prayer have you stopped praying Who did you used to pray for and you haven't even thought about them in a while? One person told me after first service, you know, I used to pray for my brother. 
because he's not a believer and pray that he would find Jesus. And I haven't prayed that prayer in a long time. What prayer have you stopped praying? What did you quit on God about? Maybe it's about your marriage or your job or that addiction or that relationship. Maybe it's someone in your family. Here's what I want you to remember. Push. P-U-S-H. Pray until something happens. You hear me? Pray until something happens. And you keep praying, you keep humbling yourself and you keep praying that specific prayer and and be persistent and you keep praying it until something happens. We push. Man, I learned that over the last five years. Some of you know this, but my wife has had major medical issues for five years straight. Beginning of 2013, she thinks she can do the splits because she's showing off to my niece who's in ballet, who stretched first when she did hers. And Dina just drops down on a wooden floor, rips the whole triple hamstring bundle right off her hip inside. She didn't, you know, she didn't tear a hammy. She pulled the whole bundle off her hip. Like it was all unraveled. Major surgery, a year worth of physical therapy and all that stuff. But I prayed every day, God, heal my wife. I've seen you do it before. You did it with my dad and you did it with my son. Please heal my wife. And he did. Then the next year, 2014, we have friends that own a condo in Mexico down in Rocky Point. They invite us to go there for free weekend. We went. We had a great time. We were very careful we, we, we washed our hands. We, we didn't drink the water. We did all that stuff. We get back from the weekend. Our tummies start grumbling. We go to the doctor. We get antibiotics. I, got, I was fine. My wife got sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker. And come to find out, she had this massive thing in her gut that had formed because she, got, she touched something down there. She's only the 11th person in the entire country, entire world to ever get infected with this rare bacteria only found in infected fish teeth. And it got in there, made this big abscess. She had to have surgery to take it out. Almost lost her one time. Well, she thought she was going. I mean, she's in the hospital, said, well, you know, if I don't make it through this, I'm like, we're not going there. And then she had to have part of her colon removed that same year. I mean... That was 2013, 2014. 2015 came along. I, she wakes me up from the, in the middle of the morning, and I have to call 911. She thinks she's having a heart attack. She's sweaty. Her heart's racing. Her blood pressure's up. She can't raise up out of bed. I have to call the paramedics. I never had the paramedics in my home before. They had to come in there and take her out, go to the emergency room. Her heart rate's racing. Her blood pressure's up. It looks cardiac. And Dr. Doogie Hauser, MD, comes in. You know, these doctors are young. I mean, they are young. I mean, I'm 56, but they look young. And he says, I'm going to send in a physical therapist. For what? It's her heart. Just, you know, he does. She comes in. She takes Dina and raises her like this and then puts her back down and then folds her like this and boom, and then back up in her bed and then back down. And she said, I'll be back in an hour. And then her heart rate dropped. Her blood pressure came down. Like, what in the world? She came back an hour later. 
she raised up Dina in the bed, up like this, took her head like this, like this, back, and back, forward, whatever. And she says, I'll be back in an hour. And then the blood pressure normalized, her heart rate normal. I'm like, what? Third time, everything normal. She had benign positional vertigo. Those little stones that are in your ears, they rest in this little crib. God's design is so amazing. There's these little stones. They rest in this little crib in your ears. They tell you what's up, what's down, what's left, what's right. Like they give you your balance. Like she had rolling stones. Um, and they, that maneuver got them all back where they belong. Oh, but that wasn't enough. Year four comes along. All these cardiac symptoms again. We go to the cardiologist. They run all the tests. Your heart's fine. Kind of find out her gallbladder died. It had to come out. Last year, it's like, okay, God, every day, Lord, heal my wife. I've learned this. Listen, could we now? Last year, she finds this big lump on her neck. And then another one, and then another one. Go to the surgeon. You have lymphoma. I'm like, cancer? Like, really, God? Like, we got to get that out of there. Okay. Goes to surgery. We're in the pre-op room. Listen, only God can do this stuff. Like, you can't make this stuff up. When I tell you I've learned how to pray specifically and persistently and humbly and all, I'm not kidding. Her, her surgery got delayed an hour and then another hour and then another hour and then another hour. Finally, he comes in at three o'clock and he starts palpating. He has his magic marker to mark her neck where these swollen glands are going to come out. And he starts palpating and he's like, and then he comes behind her and he's feeling her. He's like, I can't feel it. The biggest one was gone. He's like, I don't know what to tell you. You probably just need to go home. Dina's best friend, our good friend, Edda, she goes, I know what happened. Because <laughs> God healed it. He says, you could go home or we could just go in and take some of the other ones that are by it just to make sure. Oh, no, you're taking the <laughs> And you're going to make sure no lymphoma. 2018, she is healthy. Thank you, Jesus, right? But humble, specific, persistent, over and over and over. Heal my wife. Our assurance trumps our circumstances every time. Because effective prayers are humble, they're specific, they're persistent. And lastly, this is the good one, they are expectant. Effective prayers are expectant prayers. We read there in verse 44, and at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud. That's how you have to say that. A little cloud, the size of a man's hand, is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, and go down, lest the rain stop you. All there was was a little tiny cloud. In Washington, it'd be, Lord, could we just have one break of sunshine, right, in the cloud? But... Okay, we're flipping it, right? One little cloud. Elijah knew what he prayed for. He knew what he was expecting God to do. He saw that one little tiny cloud. He goes, go warn the people. Thunderstorms are coming. Floods coming. The rain's coming. Evacuate the town. Get everybody out. Go warn King Ahab. 
Sometimes if that were me, I see one little cloud. I'm like, well, let me check my weather app. Yeah, the rain's about to come. Yeah, it might, it might be raining by, you know, day after tomorrow. No. He prayed a prayer and he expected God to show up and to move. And God did. He showed up and he showed off. What are you expecting God to do today? What should you be expecting God to do today? For me and my family, my grandboy and my namesake, Zion Randall Rogers. I got a picture of him. He needs a new heart. He's on the heart transplant list. He's been level two up until four days ago. They moved him up to 1B. If he doesn't get a new heart, do you know how hard it is to pray for a new heart for a little boy? Do you know what that means? Another family just lost their child. But I'm expecting God to bring a new heart for Zion. He's 1B now. That means if he doesn't get a heart in the next three months, he'll have to go on a device called the LVAD to pump his heart for him. That means he's inpatient permanently from that point forward till the heart comes. But see, I, got, I saw God do it with my dad. I saw God show up with my son. I saw God show up with my wife over and over and over with my granddaughter. I know he'll do it. No matter what happens with Zion, God's going to show up and God's going to show off. Mark eleven twenty four says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Obviously all according to God's will. Listen, raise your expectation of your God. He's big. At least that's what I've seen in my life. He's big. And then we read in verses 45 to 40, all rain broke loose. It says, and in a little while, while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, for you in Washington, that wouldn't mean much. But to them, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. Boom. Four truths. Effective prayers are humble, they're specific, they're persistent, and they're expectant. So push. Pray until something happens. Amen? Pray with me. God, Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for these truths today. God, I believe there are three groups of people in this room right now, sitting in these chairs right now. God, there is a group of people sitting in these chairs. They are prayers. They are bold, persistent, specific, and expectant. All caps, P-R-A-Y, prayers, God. Thank you for them. Lord, they've seen you like I have. They've seen you show up and show off so many times in their life. Lord, I pray that whatever they're praying now, God, that you will do it and you will do it again. But God, I believe there's another group of people here. Lord, they're the lower cap prayers. They pray. Lord, they need to step up their game. 
They need to be humble and pray specifically and persistently and expectantly, God. And God, there may be some in the room, they, they don't pray. There may, believer, may be believers in the room who don't pray. There are people who, they don't even know you yet, Lord. They don't even know what this prayer thing is about, this just simple communication, this talking to God the Father. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in the room, Lord, in that third group, God, they, they don't pray because they don't have any relationship with you. Lord, they could pray a prayer in their heart right now. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I don't even know what that totally means, but man, I've been coming to this church or my friend drug me here today or my family member and I, and I hear this truth and I, I don't even know how to ask for it, but I want it. I want a relationship with you, God. Come into my life. Lord, some might be praying a prayer today. That little cloud that was over the sea, man, it gave them something to to hold on to. God, Lord, I pray that for anybody in the room. God, give them that little cloud. Or because we're in Washington, God, give them that little break of sunshine that would just say to them, my child, I got this. I got you. I'm working. I'm going to show up. And I will show off. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.